Welcome into episode 34 of the Galloway Podcast. Today is Wednesday, January 29th, 2020, episode 34, the second episode of this calendar year. Thank you for listening, whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud. I'm glad you have chosen to listen to the Galloway Podcast for all your Alabama athletics and sports talk information and so much more. Got a packed episode today with Dr. Norman Waldrop joining the podcast shortly, the surgeon at Andrews Sports Medicine and Orthopedic Center in Birmingham, Alabama. Talk a little Tide Hoops and uh, of course we're going to start off the show by talking about the sad news of Kobe Bryant. I'm joined today with my co-host Luke Ratliff. Luke, how you doing? I'm all right, William. How are you? I'm doing well. You know, um, we'll just go ahead and jump right into it. I mean, Kobe Bryant transcended the game of basketball, one of the most influential sports figures of all times all across the map. And uh, let's let's go ahead and, and talk, you know, about Kobe, do what we have to do, check this box. Um, but I tell you, man, Kobe was larger than life. You know, uh, I, I talked about earlier in the week, it's, there's a, just a handful of really, you know, athletes who transcended their sport, right, who were bigger than their sport and became, you know, really first-name basis players. You got, uh, of course, Jackie Robinson, you think of, Muhammad Ali, uh, MJ, Michael Jordan. Uh, I'd put Kobe Bryant right in there with them because he was just, you had entire generations of children for, I mean, years and years and years. Every time they threw something in the trash, they yelled Kobe, right? Right. So he was just, he was culturally transcendent. And I think, I, I was listening to ESPN Radio this week, and uh, Dan Lebetard said it best, I believe. It, it's just a reminder of the thudding finality of life and just how it can be gone and how cruel and unusual it is to just lose somebody like like that. You know, it's, it's, it's tough, but you get to realize now, and I hate they came to this. I believe it was uh, last night. I believe it was Reggie Miller. I could be wrong. That uh, said, it, "You hate it had to come to this that we could fully realize Kobe's impact on life, basketball, uh, just in in general, what he meant to scores and scores of people across the world, really." Yeah, you mentioned impact, and I think. Um that is the biggest thing about this whole situation is the sadness of realizing the impact that he had on the world on the game of basketball um, internationally within America in culture just did so much and it's a shame that it had to take his death for every, a lot of people to realize that um, because if you're a sports fan you knew it growing up uh, and he's just one of those figures that you thought would, and I think Bill Plaschke said this in his column for the L.A. Times um, right after Kobe died. It was Sunday night or, or Monday morning. Kobe is one of those figures that you figured would have sat courtside, grown old with his family, you know, gray hair, sitting at Lakers games at the Staples Center when he's 70 years old. And he's just an icon of the game of basketball. And he will forever be remembered um, for what he did on the court, for what he did off the court. But what makes this situation just so devastating is the eight other people he was with, including his daughter Gianna, um, in that in that crash in Calabasas on Sunday. 
But when you look at the day on Sunday, I mean, the, the world, it didn't stop, but the sports world, everything took a back The Super Bowl took a back seat. It's coming up this Sunday, and everything just seemed to go dark in the world of sports and even beyond. And I think, I think it's one of those days where you're going to remember where you were when Kobe died and what you were doing because – I, to me, it's one of those days like when O.J. was in the police chase on October 2nd, 1995. And also, January 26th, that Sunday, it was the 37-year anniversary, 37 anniversary of Bear Bryant's death. Um, just a really sad situation. And it's one of those days that's going to go down in history because of the sudden ending and the situation he was with, the situation he was in, and the people he was with. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, it reminds me in – you can tell how much someone meant to society, how big their role in society was uh, when something like this happens. I'm reminded immediately of uh, when Michael ja- when Michael Jackson passed away in 2008. Uh, you just you remember what you were doing, where you were when you heard the news, and just it didn't seem real, right? And and you talked about this a while ago. We uh, we. We have a tendency as people to dehumanize others. It's not necessarily a bad thing. In the case of Kobe Bryant, we dehumanized him by holding him more than human, by holding him as a superhero, really, that's supposed to live throughout time, and he's always going to be there because he's Kobe freaking Bryant. And it's just a thudding reminder that it's not... That reality's here. It's not always like that. Yeah, very, very unfortunate situation. And the sports world is still, I mean, it's Wednesday and the sports world is still talking about it. We'll be talking about it for days, months, and even years to come. Uh, and I think the news, just the shock value of it, you never see the Super Bowl take a backseat to anything. And this is one of those events where the Super Bowl took a backseat, is really still taking a backseat because people are talking about Kobe's impact, his influence, uh, and just the sudden tragic death in that helicopter accident. Uh, But, Luke, when you look back on Kobe's career and how he – we've talked about transcending transcending the game. What's something you remember most about Kobe's career – watching him grow up, whether he was wearing 8 or 24 on his back. If I have to pick, like, just a moment, I think I think I have two, really. Uh, you have, of course, the 60-point game when, in his final game where he scored 60 points at the age of 38, or I can't remember exactly how old he was, but I think he was 38. And, uh, really, he just willed that Lakers team to win that night and proved that, you know, what we had known all along is that he's not going down. He's not. He's 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 Kobe Bryant. He's going to be there at the very end. I think too about the year before that, Kobe tore his Achilles uh, in his right foot and went up to the line. Was fouled. Went up to the line. Made both of his free throws with a torn Achilles. And that uh, that really speaks to the person that he was. You know, that he was just like on the court, especially. He was as hardworking and. Believed in uh, practice makes perfect mentality. Uh, that and I think this is what he told our the Alabama football team is that he knows he's not going to be perfect, 
but he wants to be close the gap between where he is and where perfect is, uh, even though he knows he's not going to reach it. That's just the type of mentality he has. You see that in so few athletes in the world of sports, and, and that's like you talked about. That's what make them what makes them great. That's what gives them a competitive edge and a competitive advantage. You read and you hear stories of Kobe getting to hotels at two in the morning and then going to workout, waking up at four thirty or five and pulling his teammates with him. I think I saw something about where uh, someone, one of his teammates, was telling a story on TV before a game saying. You know, hey, one night we went out, and I wanted Kobe to go with me. And so Kobe said, yeah, I'll go with you as long as you get up and and put some work up, you know, get some shots up with me in the morning. And so the teammate agreed. They went out that night, got back at whatever hour, and then Kobe was knocking on his door at 5 a.m. going to work. That's just the type guy that he was, and that's what made him great. You know, you see people's stories now. Um, talking about his influence of, you know, the power of uh, him being a girl dad. You see that that uh, going around on the Internet now is such a beautiful thing to see, the, the impact that he had on his daughters uh, and that father-daughter relationship is something really in these past couple of days that has really taken the Internet um, and, and kind of grasped, grasped everyone's hearts. But just the person that he was just speaks so much to uh, this whole situation and – Truly, truly sad. But I tell you what, there were not and have not been many better than Kobe on the hardwood. You talk about scoring 60 in his last game. I mean, you talk about the greatness, winning championships, with being with the same team for 20 years, you just don't see that kind of loyalty anymore. Um, winning championships, wearing multiple numbers, doing it all by himself, having Shaq, uh, just absolute, total greatness all around. Well, yeah, and thing sticks out to me is he did it all with the same team and that's something you don't see a lot anymore and especially in basketball you don't see it much anymore uh the last like when i think of players that stay with the same team their entire career i think of you know uh, chipper jones in baseball with the braves Derek jeter and with the yankees and Dirk Nowitzki with the Dallas Mavericks had a great career in Dallas. But it's a lost art, something you don't see much anymore. For Kobe to be as dominant as he was, a player and a champion with the Lakers for such a long time, uh, to be relevant that long as a team, not just as a player, because we know how great he was, uh, it it really speaks to uh, the impact he had on the court and in the league. Kobe, I think, could be seen as one of those guys that kind of ended the generation of basketball from the the Jordan, or really the end of an era, you know, from Jordan and Bird and and guys like that. And Kobe was kind of the transition guy from maybe that old school basketball into this new wave. He really got to play in both eras, playing 20 years for the Lakers. But Kobe Bryant and the tragic death Sunday in a helicopter um, just – terrible, terrible sad news. He and his daughter Gigi and the other families um, really, you know, prayers up for them and then just those families as well. So we're going to roll on here on the Galloway Podcast, kicking it over to Dr. Norman Waldrop, who joins the podcast now to talk orthopedic surgery and his job at Andrew Sports Medicine. 
Joining the Galloway Podcast now is Dr. Norman Waldrip, one of the orthopedic surgeons at Andrews Sports Medicine and Orthopedic Center in Birmingham, Alabama, who specializes in foot and ankle surgery. You've probably seen him on the sidelines if you're an Alabama football fan, one of the team doctors alongside Lyle Kane and some other team doctors. But uh, Dr. Waldrip, how are you? William, I appreciate you having me on. I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you've you've operated on guys that play football for Alabama, famous athletes, and plenty of people in in Birmingham and really across the nation. So I want to ask you a little bit more about your job and also a little bit about the role you play with Alabama football. But let's start with your background. So just give us a little bit more about your background. Tell us how you ended up in Birmingham uh, as you are a Mobile native um, and what led you to want to be an orthopedic surgeon, specifically with ankles and feet. Yeah, so I grew up in, in Mobile, Alabama. Um, actually, um, went to the same school, UMS Wright, down there for 14 years. Um, after I got done at UMS, I uh, went to the University of Virginia. Um, and then I uh, was fortunate enough to get in UAB Medical School, so I came back here to Birmingham and lived here for four years. After uh, I finished medical school, I went to Charlotte, North Carolina, um, to do my orthopedic residency. Um, I actually got interested in orthopedics generally because, number one, I wanted to be a surgeon. I knew I wanted to be a surgeon, and, uh, and I had sort of narrowed it down to several fields. And, and as I got more interested in the different types of surgery, and if you ask me what I'd be other than an orthopedic surgeon, I'd probably tell you I'd be an ENT. Um, but as I got into it, really what drew me to orthopedics was not just the work, but the people. I realized that the, the guys that I knew that were orthopedic surgeons, guys and girls, that were orthopedic surgeons were most like me. And, and so my, my peer group and the, and the group of people that I sort of wanted to be around and grow my profession around were most like me, and those were the orthopedic surgeons. And so that's really what drew me into it. So then I went to Charlotte. I was lucky enough. I, I ranked at number one and was lucky enough to match there um, and had a pretty incredible experience in Charlotte. And when I was in Charlotte, um, they probably have the top foot and ankle practice in the country. They have, they have a, um, eight guys there, one of which is a guy named Robert Anderson, who's probably the most well-known foot and ankle surgeon in the country. He's sort of the Dr. Andrews of the foot and ankle world. You always see him scrolling across the bottom of ESPN. Um, and I got interested in, in foot and ankle, and specifically sports foot and ankle from him. Um, and from there, um, he sent me to work with one of his colleagues, a guy named Tom Clanton in Vail, Colorado. Um, and I did my fellowship in Vail, Colorado. And then from there, I came to Andrews uh, Sports Medicine, and I've been here. This is now my, I guess, my eighth year. Okay, so eighth year in Birmingham. Did you start eight years ago with Alabama football as well with Dr. Kane, or how long have you been with Alabama football? I did. Okay. I, I did. So uh, when, I, when I joined the practice, I was the only one doing foot and ankle. Still am the only uh, foot and ankle surgeon that we have. Um, I'm actually uh, hoping, hoping to change that, looking to, looking to hire a partner. But um, and, and so in my specific interest was sports foot and ankle. So uh, Lyle actually uh, got me involved early on. Uh, uh, actually, when I was a fellow, um, sort of getting into the mix with uh, Alabama, um, actually operated with Dr. Clinton on the, um, Eddie Lacy um, and and. Um, got to know uh, Eddie and taking care of uh, Alabama really before I even got here and and Lyle was um, 
nice enough and trusted me enough to bring me into the fold from uh, um, from day one. And I've, I've been with Alabama football since the beginning, and it's uh, it's really been an awesome experience. I mean, I credit a lot of it to Lyle. He, he I tell people all the time, but he truly is the best team physician in the country, um, and I'm and I'm lucky to work with him. Yeah, he is he is great. Both. Birmingham guys and and you and Dr. Kane are, are people that I've I got to know in high school and then I've gotten to know throughout my time being here in Tuscaloosa uh, at the University of Alabama. Dr. Waldrop, when you look at the Alabama football program, uh, you, you tweet every week about you know the best the best game day weekends are when you're not busy at all. Uh, but but kind of walk us through kind of your game day weekends and, and what they look like from a team doctor perspective. Yeah, so our, our typical game day, um, whether home or on the road, um, if, if uh, so Dr. Cannon and I both take care of uh, high schools um, here, in, uh, here in Birmingham. Dr. Cannon is the team physician for um, Mount Brook High School, and I'm the team physician for Homewood. But so on Friday nights, where we, we are not actually with the football team, we're with covering our high schools. So on Saturdays, if we're home, we drive over to Tuscaloosa. If we're on the road, we actually fly out of Birmingham um, to wherever we're playing. Son, court to keep you busy as well, right? He helps you on the sideline. I do. I do. This year was awesome for me. So my, my son's a ten-year-old. He's a fourth grader. Um, all of a sudden, and uh, this year uh, he got to be. Uh, we don't call them water boys. We call them hydration specialists. Um, <laughs> he, he was one of the. Uh, he was one of the hydration specialists, which was really awesome for me. He, he got to go home and away to, to all the games, um, and really, actually. As I told him, it's a real job. He, he had to he had to work hard. Uh, he didn't get to see as much of the games as he would like, but it was awesome. He got to know a lot of the players and uh, and, and got to be a part of it. As a matter of fact, one funny story: uh, at the end of one of our games, toward the end of the season, um, I, we, the game was well out of hand. Um, obviously, I don't think Coach saw this, but I turned around and I looked back, and some of the guys had hand warmers because it was a little chilly. <laughs> um, and I thought, man, that's what a cool experience, and that's hilarious that they're over there messing with my ten-year-old, teaching him how to juggle. Yeah, his his game day experience uh, growing up with Alabama football is going to be really different than his friends, and he's going to have a lot of stories to tell. Uh, <laughs> 
Dr. Waldrop, I want to ask you about uh, a couple players you've worked with. Uh, obviously, guys in recent years who've had football uh, ankle-related injuries, Kenyon Drake, um, really, he actually literally did put you on the cover of Sports Illustrated. Uh, will you talk about that moment in the 2015 National Championship after you um, – helped him out in the road to recovery and everything, but everything he went through with multiple injuries to then come back, play a key role in the 2015 National Championship in Arizona. Uh, and that moment of, of victory, but also that return touchdown he had, what was that like for you um, seeing as a doctor, your patient, uh, and even importantly as a patient, but also a student athlete for him to have that moment of success? Man, I'll tell you, so... Um that, that cover um, from Sports Illustrated it was, was neat to me. I always tell people I always dreamed of being on the cover of Sports Illustrated. You never know how you get there. Um, but, but the reality of that picture was, if you look in the background, and it, it was in other pictures as well, um, newspapers across the country, I'm, I'm jumping and have my hands up. And obviously I'm happy that he scored the touchdown and that it looks like we're going to win the national title. But a lot of that was because of my happiness for Kenyon. Um, if you rewind it a year, um, at Ole Miss the year prior, Kenyon had had a nasty um, ankle fracture dislocation that uh, um, that most of the world saw on CBS. And it was one of those Joe Seisman type injuries that um, it was a really not very pretty injury. And um, we actually fixed him up that day and, and he had a really long, long recovery. And especially for a guy that was relied on his speed and his quickness as much as Kenya did, which was uh, pretty amazing to me. He was an absolute warrior. His recovery was unbelievable. And, and following both our recommendations, everything that Jeff Allen and the training staff, athletic training staff, put forward, and his comeback truly was absolutely remarkable. And the most amazing stat behind that touchdown run was if you go back and look at Kenyon's, some of his data that we have, before he got hurt against against uh, Florida, he had an 80-yard touchdown catch, of which his maximum speed was 21.88 miles an hour, which is wow. flying, by the way. Yeah, if very you fast. Look at his, if you look at that same data from that from that kickoff return against Clemson, his max speed was 22.1 miles an hour. Good so heavens. he actually was running faster after his injury on that particular play than he had ever run at any point in Alabama. So there's a lot that goes into that play, and that's probably, to me, the most special play that I've been a part of, just knowing what he'd been through. And obviously, he brought us the national title, which is uh, icing on the cake. Well, I've got to ask you, on that note, was that moment with Kenyon Drake sweeter than winning the basketball state championship for UMS Wright in 1998 with that four corners offense he had? <laughs> oh, man. Um, can't believe you lobbed that one in there. Uh, yeah, the, I, I would have to say two, two totally different feelings. You know, the, you know, being a part of the team for the national title um, uh, was unbelievable. I mean, it, it, it's, it's they're probably on par with each other. You know, the, the basketball state title was sort of came out of nowhere. UMS had never ever been any good in basketball, and we've been building to. We actually been to the final four the year before. Um, and every game we played in the playoffs, we played teams that were a whole lot better than we were. Um, but um, winning that uh, winning that state title is certainly something I will never, ever, ever forget. Well, on 
on, on that note as well, do you think, since I'm on the road to Louisiana right now, could you have guarded Trendon Watford in high school? Uh, absolutely not. He's <laughs> uh, too big and too strong. You know, I did have a teammate on that team who was Mr. Basketball. Um, who, maybe, uh, who, who played at Alabama, who maybe could have given Trenton uh, in high school a little bit of his run for his money. Uh, but, man, I look at these guys now, and, you know, I, I scored a lot of points and got all these accolades or whatever you want to call it. But uh, um, I don't know if I could play with these guys, man. I'm, I'm the biggest Melbourne basketball fan out there. And I go watch them play. they move the ball and play is really incredible. Uh, Dr. Weldrop, I want to ask you about this, this tightrope ankle surgery. Really, one of the advancements in, in all of sports medicine that we've seen, and it's it's so prevalent with Alabama football, and recently uh, Jalen Hurts having to have it a couple years back, Tua having to have it this year, guys like Cam Robinson in 2014. Um, a question about the surgery does do NFL teams worry about a player who has this surgery in terms of like does it affect their longevity? And then also, can you tell us a little bit more about just kind of the details of the surgery and what it does for the athletes to make them better and to make them better so much uh, relatively quicker than a normal ankle surgery? Sure. Um, to answer the first question, um, you know we, we have the, the, the feedback we get from the NFL is great. The guys that go to the NFL don't have any issues, and when they go to the combine, what they find when they when they when they get the ankles looked at is that there've been really no issues long term. I mean, I remember having a um, <laughs> discussion with uh, Ross Piercebacher and and, uh, um, and Jonah Woodnose. It was Ross and Cam this year at one of the games, and, and Ross. And Cam were both saying that their ankles were better than their other ankles, um, and, and that they had had teammates who had similar injuries, and, and they kind of been pushing them to get it because of not only did the surgery work for the short term, it works long term. And the reality is, the tightrope is two buttons that has have this really strong wire between them, and, and when you get a bad ankle sprain, what happens is the two bones, the little bone in the ankle called the fibula, and the big bone, the tibia, spread apart because those ligaments tear, and when they tear, those two bones become unstable, um, and what the tightrope does is those two, the wire and the two brackets, the little metal brackets, hold those two bones together so the ligaments can heal right, and they make the ankle stable. And one of the things that people get a little bit confused about is they think that we're doing it so the athletes can go back to play quickly. We're actually not. We're actually doing it because the ankle is unstable and they need the surgery. The second benefit of it is I'll let them go back as quick as they can. And we've had guys play quickly. We had Cam Robinson come back in two weeks. You know, two of this year uh, played three weeks later. And so the, the good part about the surgery is that it does allow you to play early. Uh, but the most important part is that it lasts long term. And, and the guys that we've done it on that have gone on to the NFL haven't had any problems with it and have, have really been uh, um, pretty happy with it even five, six, seven years down the road. Yeah, absolutely. So what if, if say someone who's not uh, and in the peak physical condition that these college athletes are in gets a surgery like that, 
would they be able to turn around in two or three weeks like these these college athletes are doing that you see at Alabama and other schools, or would it take them a little bit longer to get back adjusted to their daily lives? No, it, it absolutely would take them longer. I mean, one of the advantages that we have uh, you know, at Alabama and really any of the schools that we take care of is that, I mean, the athletic training staff are, are incredible, and they're getting – 24-7 care that really speeds things along at a, at a hyper pace. Um, however, when I do do the surgery on just your weekend warrior that gets hurt, um, we rehab them in a similar manner. And I, and I think it's good for them to try to go as fast as they can. But the reality is it still it takes them several weeks longer just because they don't have – it's hard to get the daily rehab that – a lot of these uh, college professional athletes. So when you look at a guy like like Tua um, and the quarterback position, because Jalen had it the year before, what what's your main concern for those guys coming back with a quick turnaround? So any time, well, number one, my main concern is that they that they could potentially break the fibula because I've drilled a hole in it, and, it, and these guys are you know playing elite level football against guys that, that weigh you know, 280, 290 pounds um, and you know, sometimes heavier. Um, and so that's my biggest concern. But in, in guys in skill position players, you know, guys that need to get up on their toes and run and be explosive and change directions, um, you know, I, I worry about them. It's a little harder to um, uh, it's a little harder to come back from. And, and, and so there, there's definitely an element of worry. I mean, they see me on the sidelines just sort of standing there um, may not look like I'm too worried about it and trust me I'm, I'm very concerned about them even though I know their ankle is going to hold up you know when you when you put it there's always risk when you put a um, player out trying to play Southeastern Conference football there's risk whether they're hurt or not and, and, and so I, I worry about it even more when I know that they're three or four weeks out from surgery well, absolutely. Dr. Welger, before we wrap up here, uh, as, as a sports guy yourself, I want to ask you, as we're in the college basketball season, uh, how do you see your Virginia Hoos, I guess our Virginia Hoos, Cavaliers, whatever you want to call them, uh, your, your alma mater, my dad's alma mater, but how do you see their season panning out and um, around the world of college basketball as well? What are you seeing from certain teams and, and who do you like this year? Oh man, uh, yeah, basketball, basketball is my my diehard love, and uh, you know it's it's been uh, it's been a tough year. I say a tough year for the Warriors. Yeah, it, it has been a year unlike we've had in the last eight or nine years under Tony Bennett, who I who I think is as, as good and not the best coach in the country. I actually went up to a game a couple of weeks ago, and you know people always tell me it's uh, it's hard to watch Virginia on TV. I said it's harder to watch my personal channel. <laughs> Focus 
Pete said to the team, which which absolutely amazed me, was this win does not mean anything if we all turn around and beat Missouri on Saturday. And right. to me, that focus that he has about what's next, what do we need to do to get better, and not, and not just rest on the fact that we just beat Auburn. You know, he was he was trying to turn everybody's attention and focus next. Really amazed me. And, and he's he's got the players' attention. I think they're buying him. And man, I, I'm super excited about uh, where he's, he's got his head. And really, what's really the short term? We, we, we're going to end up making the tournament this year. I, I feel pretty good about that. I may be wrong, wrong but I, I think he's far exceeding expectations. Absolutely. Well, uh, it's only year one, which is really exciting. And he's already shown so much, really fired up. Dr. Waldrop on the Galloway podcast foot and ankle specialist for Andrews Sports Medicine and Orthopedic Center in Birmingham, Alabama. Dr. Waldrop, thank you so much. You guys are awesome. I appreciate it. Thank you, William. Big thank you to Dr. Norman Waldrop. I apologize for any of the sound difficulties that was recorded on the interstate uh, somewhere in between Mississippi and Baton Rouge as I was driving down for the game. The game is now over, and this segment is being recorded on the way back to Tuscaloosa. Luke is back joining me, and we're going to break down the game. Alabama lost 90-76, to falls to 12-8 and overall, 4-3 and in conference play. Once again, a 90-76 to loss at LSU versus the Tigers. Luke, your initial thoughts after this very not visually appealing game for the Crimson Tide. That's exactly what it was. It was hard to watch. Uh, you, you could tell that the Tide just never got into a rhythm offensively. Uh, defensively, they sort of did what they needed to do. But LSU just made such tough shots. Uh, I, the story for me is on, on the boards. Uh, what Remind me what the rebounding was. I think we were out rebounded forty nine to thirty one. That's about. That sounds about right. I, if you told me it was a hundred to twenty five, I would. Be, I would have believed you. But. That also would have been right. <laughs> it was. One one thing about that game to me is is LSU played the way that Alabama wants to play, and Alabama just couldn't do it. LSU got up and down. They were scoring in transition. They were hitting phenomenal shots. I'll give them that. LSU was making some really tough shots. Alabama was pretty sound defensively. Um, You're not going to be perfect in a game like that, especially on the road in conference play against the team that's leading the SEC. But Alabama was sound on defense, and LSU made some really tough shots. Now, that... Are they 14 points better than Alabama? I don't think so. you got to factor in Beetle Bolton was out with GI issues that we won't get into. And um, John Petty didn't start. Nate Oates saying right after the game, Cecil Hurd reported that uh, trying to make a statement saying he needs to you know step up and, and be a team leader. Well, that backfired. And just a lot of things went wrong for Alabama and didn't – have great shot selection overall. That pretty pretty good shot selection, but when you when Petty's not your main scorer, I think he ended up with four points, maybe maybe six. I think he had four. Just overall, offensively, not where you want to be for the Crimson Tide. No, not at all. And I've said it before, uh, multiple times, either online or uh, on, on my personal podcast. But uh, this team goes really as 23 goes. Uh, when, when 23 has a good game, the team typically wins or has a good day. Uh, and 23 didn't have that tonight. And 
it, it's Coach Oates said in his post-game press release you just referenced to that they tried to make a statement and it obviously backfired because there's been a lack of leadership in practice, he said, which is understandable. You try to uh, do that, but just just really abysmal night. This was, in my mind, the worst uh, tie this plate since they came back from the Bahamas in the battle for Atlantis. And the fact that they've gone, just the fact that they've gone on this tear since the battle for Atlantis uh, is remarkable in, in that. But you've had three, you've had a week, you're coming off a week where if you're Alabama, you have two very good uh, teams you like to see come in, or three straight games where uh, very subpar competition, no disrespect to Kansas State or Missouri or God bless Vanderbilt, but uh, no disrespect to them, but very subpar competition. You want to use those as warm-up games before you get into the stretch of six games that you're in right now. You start at the night uh, to sort of fine-tune your basketball team. and uh, You know, Alabama squeaked by the last two games against uh, Kansas State and I forget the other one. I believe it was Missouri. Was it Missouri? Missouri. It was Missouri. It was so long ago, I forget. Well, I'd, I'd say this about Alabama, too. Going back to the point of wanting to experiment, it wasn't a wanting to experiment. It was obviously more of a coaching decision uh, in the way, you know, that Nate Oates wants to run his program based off whatever's going on that we don't know inside that locker room. That's, that's the reason to why John Petty didn't start tonight. But Alabama, well, let's talk about Alabama on the road. You know, not a great showing in Florida, a, a, a very strong showing and, and encouraging in terms of what you want to see. You play Vandy, who, you know, that's a roll out the JV team. We didn't play a great game at Vandy, but we still found a way to win because they weren't a very good team. And then tonight, didn't have great shot selection. The defense was, I would say, probably better, but LSU made some really tough shots. It was a strong athletic team that got up and down the floor. Um, but one and two on the road in conference play, Luke. So how do you address moving forward what needs to change for Alabama in order to play better away from Coleman Coliseum? You have some pride, man. You got to play like you want to win the game. And I don't think, especially in the first half, they showed signs of life in the second half the Crimson Tide did. But especially in the first half, it looked like they just didn't want to be out there. And I don't know what that is, but you got to play with pride. You got to play with, this is what Coach Oates preaches. You got to act like you want to be there. You got to have the energy to keep up on the court. You got to have, you know, you got to have heart and hustle. And they lack that a lot tonight, in my opinion. But, you know, maybe this is maybe this is the game Coach Oates' squad needed. Uh, headed in, you know, Saturday against a very good Arkansas team with multiple players averaging double digits. And, uh, maybe this is just something they needed to learn from. And Alabama, you know, lost to an LSU team who's not a shabby team. They're 7-0 and in conference play, and they played very well tonight. And the Tide did not. Uh, you know, only – I say only a 14-point loss, but losing by 14 on the road when you play like that, and we don't we don't sit here on this podcast and we don't harp on the refs and we're not going to talk about the officiating, so we're not pointing fingers at that. But when you go on the road in the SEC, it's very, very tough to win. I mean, just because night in, night out, you never you, – you look at last night – 
Auburn barely squeaked by Ole Miss. Auburn's not a great team. Ole Miss isn't a great team. And and Auburn squeaked by, and they were down, I think, 17, 19 at one point. It's just very tough to win on the road in the SEC. But like you said, Luke, I think a building point for this Alabama team moving forward. And to me, overall, if you could summarize it in a couple words, Alabama and Nate Oates wants to play blue-collar basketball. Tonight was not blue-collar basketball. Not at all. And, you know, I again, this is just something you can learn from. Because you saw tonight uh, an LSU team who's undefeated in conference play, and rightly so, and ranked 22nd in the country, uh, more than likely going to go up by the uh, time the next AP poll comes out. Um, it's just, you know, you saw the competition you're going to see for the rest of the year tonight. Uh, this was no... Vanderbilt you were playing, or Missouri, even though Missouri uh, had a great game recently against the, the Georgia Bulldogs and Tom Green's team, but uh, this is who you're going to be playing against for the rest of the year, more or less. And you see where they are and how, how teams like that play. If you're coach Oates, you're telling your team right now, uh, that's that's where you need to be in better. Yeah, looking uh, at back at this game just one more time, some of the positives I'd say. I think Jaden Shackelford finished with, what was it, 23 points? Uh, he got some great looks. I was really encouraged by the looks that Shackelford got. Great experience on the road for him. I think there, was, there wasn't a shot that he took, maybe one late in the second half that he didn't think was going to go in. But I think 99% of his shots were good-looking shots, and he had the confidence. He had his legs under him. Uh, missed a couple, but I think he – if Alabama had to pick a player of the game despite the loss, I think you got to go with Shackelford. Not because of the shots, but the way he played and the way he moved in transition. So uh, that's my positive takeaway. Any final takeaways? Uh, not really. Just move on to the next one. You know, you sort of touched on something there I'd like to talk about real quickly before we finish up the show. Uh, if you're – for me as a fan, if – you're getting the open looks like Shackelford got and the shots just aren't falling. Obviously, you want the shots to fall, but if you're getting the open looks like you do, like you did tonight, uh, and you're just not making them, that's and you lose that way, that's fine with me as a fan because that means that the offense is working. The offense is working to get you open shots. They just got to go in. That's the next step. Uh, obviously, I think that, that was the only case. That was only the case for Jaden Shackelford tonight. Uh, Team's just going to be better on Saturday. Yeah, better on Saturday. Arkansas, 5 o'clock. I believe it is on ESPN 2. We'll have to check that. We'll, right, we'll check that. But 5 o'clock in Coleman Coliseum, 90s night on Saturday. Doors will open at 3.30. Hope to see you all in Coleman Coliseum. As we close up the podcast, we want to take a look quickly around Alabama athletics, uh, some some news from the past week and since the last podcast, now that we're in episode 34. Kyra Lewis Jr. was named co-SEC Player of the Week last week with Kentucky's Nick Richards. Trendon Watford was the freshman of the week, and Trendon and Kyra went head-to-head. Obviously, Watford got the best of Lewis and the Tide tonight. Uh, looking also inside Coleman Coliseum, that where the Alabama gymnastics team participates and competes, they will be on the road this Friday night here in Baton Rouge to face LSU. That's Friday night for the Bama gymnastics team. We're two weeks away from Alabama baseball's home opener. They have a 
weekend series versus Northeastern beginning uh, middle of February. And then just over a week away from the softball season opener, Team 24 will open February 7th in Tallahassee facing North Carolina and Florida State twice next weekend. Check out RollTide.com to see the full athletic schedule. And once again, folks, wrapping up this podcast, I want to thank you for listening, whether you are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or SoundCloud. Thank you to Luke Ratliff for joining today's episode. Once We apologize for any uh, potholes we may have hit on the road or any background noise because we are, all of this was recorded on the interstate, so we appreciate you bearing with us. And uh, Luke, I enjoyed co-hosting the podcast with you. It was, uh, it's, it's my pleasure, honestly. Uh, it made the time go by faster when we're driving on the road, especially after a tough loss like tonight. Absolutely. We are almost back to Tuscaloosa, so we're going to drop the show here. I want to remind everybody that Galloway Podcast merchandise is available. Gray hats just came in yesterday. They're gray hats, white hats, koozies for sale, $20 for a hat, $3 for a koozie, $5 for two koozies. Hey, if you have any other ideas or promotional products, let me know. Remember to follow us on Twitter at WM underscore Galloway and at Fluffopotamus88. This is the Galloway Podcast. Thank you so much for listening. There's the right way. There's the wrong way. And there's the Galloway.